Greetings, fellow traveler on this little rock tumbling through space. I'm Fred. This is my front porch. Come and sit a bit, and let's talk for a little while. There are ideas to be discussed on this old set of nicely nailed together boards. Money, it's a crime. Share it fairly, but don't take a slice of my pie. Money, so they say, is the root of all evil today. But if you ask for a raise, it's no surprise that they're giving none away. Away, away. Pink Floyd. Let's begin with where we must certainly agree. Money has no value of its own. Its sole value comes from an agreement made before we were born by people we've never met that it has value. A bottle of water is more valuable than a hundred dollar bill. I can drink the water, it helps keep me alive. I can't drink the bill. I also can't eat it. I can't use it to help my crops grow. It has no actual value beyond the mysterious agreement that it does. This becomes relevant now because the holy economy, which some believe is more important than human life, and which is built around printed pieces of cotton and linen is obviously collapsing. Unemployment is skyrocketing. We are bailing out both corporations again and now, to a much lesser extent, a few workers. It is by no means universal. If you are behind on child support, which usually indicates you didn't have enough money in the first place, you don't get the help. If you make too much money, you don't get the help, unless, of course, you make obscene amounts of money, in which case you get vastly more help. If you don't have a bank account on file with the IRS, you will still get some help, but it will take much longer. In short, some of the workers are deserving, while others are not. Homelessness is, for the first time in recent memory, becoming an issue people in the middle class fear. Why? More people may be facing it soon. Because we can't earn pieces of cotton and linen with symbols printed on them. We could vastly reduce homelessness fairly easily. There are between 17 and 18 million empty houses in America at the moment, depending upon whose estimates you read. 
there are roughly half a million homeless people in America. We have more than 30 times the empty houses as people who need a home. Why don't we give them homes? Money. We have more than enough food to feed everyone on the planet. I quoted this in an earlier article. The world produces enough food to feed everyone. For the world as a whole, per capita caloric availability and food diversity, that is the variety of food groups in a diet, have increased between the 1960s and 2011. This growth in food availability, along with improved access to food, helped reduce the percentage of chronically undernourished people in lower-middle-income countries from about 30% in 1990 to 92 to about 13% two decades later. A principal problem is that many people in the world still do not have sufficient income to purchase or land to grow enough food or to have access to nutritious foods. That's from worldhunger.org. The link will be in the notes. Why don't we feed everyone then? Money. The highest estimates for feeding everyone in the world is $265 billion. For context, that's half of what we spent bailing out corporations this time around. We are capable of all the things we are doing, and all the things we have done, and all the things we ever will do without pieces of cotton and linen. Those ingredients would be put to better use, making clothes people need. What makes you so sure this could be done without money? Money isn't a magical ring. It has no supernatural powers. It doesn't give us abilities we didn't already have. Its supreme power is the agreement. It is powerful only because we have decided it is. I know we can accomplish the things we have accomplished because we've accomplished them. Was it the magical power of money that allowed Copernicus to determine the Earth orbits the Sun? Was it the mystical power of cash that built the ancient Egyptian pyramids? Would the invention of the printing press have been impossible without guilders? Or were all of these things possible without money? I submit Human beings can operate without money. We are capable of miraculous things, and none of those things is from money, shimmering like Stanley Kubrick's monolith in 2001, imbuing us with powers we previously lacked. Money, or any form of currency it seems to me, is used for determining what one deserves. You deserve, the idea goes, whatever you can buy. 
If it were used only for buying things that are extra, I could live with that idea. I don't for a moment pretend everyone deserves everything. I don't deserve a private jet, I suppose. But we have taken it to an absurd extreme. We've decided people who don't have money don't deserve a place to live, food to eat, heated homes, electricity, running water, medical care, or clothes to protect them from the environment. Money is used to ensure that everyone works. There is the implicit threat that if one doesn't work, one will live, if one lives at all, in the most cruel poverty we can devise. That's not true. We have programs for those without enough money. Yes, yes we do. Our welfare programs work wonderfully to ensure that one never really has enough money to advance. They are also all about deciding if you deserve anything and how much you deserve. If you start doing better, you must not need the help anymore, so we take it away. I have often done worse by doing better. These programs require that a person knows they exist. They require a person knows how to make use of them. They require, if nothing else, a physical address. If you're a homeless person, these programs are all but useless. And those are the people who need the most help. Why can't we get it? Money. What is the function of money? I conducted my own utterly unscientific research on this topic with my own Facebook page. I got quite a few responses. The answers broke down into three broad ideas. One, money is a means of exchange. This camp points out that the barter system was essentially too bulky to make it work properly. There is no way to determine how many walnuts are worth a gallon of milk. Money simplifies things by assigning a more transferable unit of measure to each item. A bottle of water is never going to cost $5,000. A new car will never cost $10. We can even things out and it makes trade easier. Two, money is a motivator. These folks believe money is used to get people to do things we don't want to do otherwise. Very few people really want to dig ditches or clean toilets, but if you pay them for it, you can get them to do it. Three, money is a tool for establishing power. The people in this group believe money establishes who will be in charge and who will follow orders. The more money one has, the more people will do what one asks. There are outliers. One said it was a means of doing God's work, although I was unable to follow the argument, 
See if you can understand it. I'm quoting now. Money doesn't just mean bills and coins. It can be as simple as doing something for someone who does something for you. That sounds like a barter system to me. There were a couple of different outliers, and I admit, I liked them very much. One, hold power over others and keep slavery alive. Another along the same lines, an imaginary number to enforce class hierarchy. I spent enough time thinking about these ideas that I believe I have enough information to address them. Money as a means of exchange. Money does simplify matters in many ways. I need something. Let's say, because I'm Fred, it's a case of Diet Pepsi. I could certainly exchange my labor for it. I could go to Circle K, as I suggested in an earlier podcast, and sweep up or clean shelves or stock beer for a little while in exchange for my soda. While I think that works very nicely for small transactions, it becomes complicated for larger ones. I don't have sufficient labor ability to trade instantly for a new car or a house. No one does. We need a means of exchange for this. Does it have to be the dollar? Is there another possibility? Should we explore other options? I would certainly like to investigate other possibilities. This one doesn't seem to be working very well. I say that because more than 70% of us don't have enough of it to live decent, or at least secure, lives. We live paycheck to paycheck in the best of times. We can't afford to miss a single one, and during the pandemic, we are finding we are going to be missing more than one. The disaster will be difficult to overcome. Money as a motivator. In some cases, the need for money can motivate people to do good things. We may do useful things in the pursuit of money. There have been many studies one of which was pointed out by a Facebook friend of mine, that show, in opposition to what one would normally think, that money is a very poor motivator for higher-level tasks. You can get people to dig a ditch faster by offering more money, but you can't get someone to create new software that way. That requires autonomy. Allowing someone to work something out in their own way makes it possible for them to think creatively in ways that money doesn't bring about. Its function as a motivator, then, is limited. It rarely produces great innovation. It is an excellent motivator, however, for forcing us to do tasks we never wanted to do. We fear poverty and homelessness sufficiently that we will do whatever is required to avoid them. And for me, this is the next and worst function of money.
money as a tool for establishing power. This is where money becomes evil. Far too many of us believe the myth that a person's value can be determined by the amount of money we have. This is simply untrue. Bits of printed cloth, as we have already demonstrated, have no inherent value. Possession of those bits of cloth and coins shows nothing reliably. Having large amounts of this may show me that you worked hard. They may show me you have a rare and valuable talent for which people are willing to pay. They may show me you made a significant contribution to society. They may show me none of those things. They may show me that you stole them. They may show me that you won them. They may show me that you have done unethical or immoral things to obtain them. Possession of these shows me nothing certain about you. It is impossible to determine your value to society, to me, to humanity, based on how many of these pieces of inherently valueless bits of cotton and linen you have. What they grant you, or any of us, to the extent that we have them, is power. I would go further, they grant you freedom. They determine what you can and can't do, and when you can do it. If you have very few, you must work harder and harder for fewer and fewer of them. If you are not successful in collecting them, you will be unable to survive for any length of time. You will have nowhere to live, you will have nothing to eat, you will have no access to medical care, you will not be able to get new clothes. You will be completely the rugged individual. You will be Thoreau, but without Walton Pond, because someone owns it now and you're not allowed to be there without paying. You're not really allowed to be anywhere without paying. So, you will work. We will all work. We will do as we are told. If someone please will let us live in something better than the dumpster. We are brought to this state by money. Those of us who have the largest stacks of cotton cloth get to do whatever we wish to do within the law whenever we choose. If it's illegal, we can still usually get away with it. That's not cynicism. It's an honest observation. Those of us with the most give the orders. We decide how much the poor get. We are, for reasons passing understanding, superior to those who have less money. We are more important. We deserve it. This is what we have been asked to believe since before I was born. I decline to believe it. The Value of a Person My value is not defined by how much money I can earn. Neither 
for me at least, is yours. Such a definition is not only narrow, in that it focuses on only one small part of the thousands of elements of my existence, it is also among the least interesting. Can I make you laugh? Can I cause you to smile? Can I make you think? Can I entertain you? Am I someone to whom you might reasonably turn for love and kindness? Do I know as much about Star Trek as you do? Did Go Set a Watchman ruin To Kill a Mockingbird for me? Do I believe that's even a relevant question? Would a comma straighten out your sentence for you? I'm the guy to ask. All of those are more interesting definitions of your friend. They're also all among the indicators of your value to me. Many of the people on my Facebook friends list are women upon whom, when I was in the hormone haze that is the existence of a 15-year-old boy, I had a terrible crush. Was that because they were physically attractive? Undoubtedly. So, should I make all of my judgments about women based upon their attractiveness? And, if I did, wouldn't you loathe me for such an unimportant and single-minded appraisal of my friends? And, if anyone made their sole method of judging me, my physical attractiveness, I would have very few friends indeed. Just as wrong as I would be to make my judgment of a person based on their physical attributes, I would be equally offended if I were to be judged solely on the amount of money I can earn. This would be equally true if I were physically attractive or I could earn large sums of money. Why then are we willing to make such narrow judgments about strangers? I refuse to believe the only value of someone else is how much money they can earn or how physically attractive that person may be. And I believe all people, simply because we have been born, deserve the basics of living. I know many people who publish memes of blank pieces of paper that are the list of all the things the world owes you. I can't agree with that. Neither you, nor I, nor any of us ever asked to be born we simply were. We were the fastest sperm, but we didn't even ask to be that. And we survive on this planet only because others, at some point, took care of us. In fact, we all rely on each other in greater or lesser ways to survive even now. Someone has to grow our food. Someone has to pick it or slaughter it. Someone has to package it. Someone has to ship it. Someone has to stock it on the shelf. Someone has to sell it to you. And that was just lunch. We depend on each other. Is that socialism? I don't know. We can debate economic theories another time. I'm simply pointing out that, as John Dunn told us, no man is an island entire of itself. live in our own worlds. Our experiences are ours alone, unique to each of us. 
but we also all live in the same world. We share it. There is no other to which we can go. This planet is all there is for any of us. Let's make it as nice for everyone as we can. Let's not decide that some of us are better than others for reasons that have nothing to do with who we are. If you're a serial killer, yeah, I'm probably a better person than you are. If you're listening to this, you're probably a better person than I am. Otherwise, I wouldn't want you on my Facebook friends list. I improve myself by being around those better than I am. In the same way, you'll become a better musician by playing with Miles Davis than you will by playing with me. Some people are better than others, yes. But let's make those judgments about them for meaningful reasons. And let's end those judgments at the point of deciding whether we want to be their friends instead of deciding that because we don't like someone very well, they don't deserve the basics of life. Yes, they do. So do you. So do I. What should our future be? As we're watching the world, begin to crumble around us. Many of us are already asking ourselves how we will rebuild it when this crisis finally passes. I don't know when that'll be. I've heard two months. I've heard 18 months. My crystal ball is broken, so I can't tell you when we will be able to return to what we have been taught to believe is normal. I would like to ask, though, what the new normal should be. What have we learned from this crisis? I would like to believe we have learned that, as we're all in this together, as everyone now tells us all the time, all of us matter. And perhaps we will begin to reshape the world so that all of us are free to choose for ourselves. We don't all need to be wealthy. We don't all need to have a four-bedroom house. We all do need somewhere to live, though. We're all going to need to eat then, just like we do now. And maybe we can rebuild a world that provides those things to everyone. If we're going to have money, it would be great if everyone had enough to survive. That's all I'm asking. I'm asking to free everyone from wage slavery. I'm asking that, if nothing else, we grant everyone a universal basic income that ensures we have our basic needs met. This isn't a wild, irrational idea. It's a lesson I think we need to learn. I'm not alone in this. I certainly didn't invent the idea. I see it, though, as an inescapable fact that all human beings matter. I do. You do. We do. Let's develop an economy that will care for all of us. How do we do that? Nope, 
I don't know that. But I would love to start by recognizing that all of us count. Let's begin with that idea and then find out, as my favorite fictional president was fond of saying, what's next? soon look for all the episodes at anchor.fm slash forward slash forward slash front dash porch dash podcast we're also now on spotify breaker and google podcasts enjoy the rest of your day (laughs) 